How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Janzi. Tim, how's it going, sir? I'm doing well. Just keeping busy, so we're good. Yeah, just work stuff? Yeah, pretty much. Well, that's good, man. That's good. So, Tim, we're going to jump right into today's episode because we got a fully loaded episode to talk about this week. Now, before we get any further, Tim, I'll let, I'll let, I'll let, I'll let. So, I've got two major announcements to make this week. So, I'm very excited to announce that for next week's episode for the Chuck Bowl, we're going to have a very special guest joining us. So, if you are a fan of hockey TikTokers by any chance, you may know the TikToker, that Solar Bears fan. He's going to be joining us next Monday for that episode. So I'm very much, I'm very looking excited. I'm really looking excited to that. As you can tell, English is not. <laughs> you think English would be my first language here, jumping over no, myself. No. But no, very excited to have him on. I've been a fan of his work for a long time. And I also want to make another announcement. I don't know if it's really an announcement, but it's a shout out. So I'm going to give a shout out to Katrina's brother and sister-in-law, Justin and Devin. Welcome to baby boy this week into the world, baby Baxton. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's definitely going to be on our plans this summer. Is going up to Alberta to see the baby, and you know what's funny? I have an old school starter sense jersey here. Oh, okay. I'm thinking maybe I'll keep that for him. Maybe if he wants to switch his allegiance to a good Canadian team. I mean, her brother cheers for Edmonton, so <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, very excited for those two announcements. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to next week's episode to talk with that Solar Bears fan. Yeah. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun, especially if we win that game. Oh my God. I know, right? I mean, it's not, it's not just enough that we potentially could knock them out of a playoff race if we keep winning, but we can also brag about it too. Although I don't think it'll be as funny as the time we had Jake Rivard on. No, no, that that was so good. That was so good. I mean, you talk about we didn't even break him. That's just called getting double. He came pre-broke. I know, and we just twisted the knife, Tim. That's what we do. Yeah. Now another thing that we also do on the show, Tim, is talk about Vix, this week's cover athlete for today's episode, season six, episode twenty-three, in chronological order, episode one forty-seven. The Mark Kaslick edition of the Third Line Plug, Sanscast. So, just a little background on Mark Kaslick. He was drafted 125th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2019. He is currently in his second season with the Senators, and he currently has recorded five goals, three assists for eight points in 56 games. Now, you know what's funny, Tim? When Mark Kaslick was announced for the cover athlete for today's episode, the tough decision for me, whether was to use a action shot or the shot of him as Jesus. I think we have to do the action shot, Tay. I know, but the Jesus shot's funny, though. I guess. But uh, Mark Kastelik's an interesting player because I remember when we drafted him, people were wondering, is this guy ever going to play? Because uh, he was drafted as an overager. And typically... You have to wonder how someone got to their draft el- third draft eligible year without being taken or going to college, right? So there was a lot of like 
okay, what's Ottawa doing with Mark Kaslik? But he's definitely turned into a useful bottom six player. He really has. And I remember when, if you go back and listen to our 2019 Sens draft class episode, we definitely talked about Mark Kaslik. And it was kind of that feeling of like, okay, don't really know what we got on our hands here. All we knew was that he was a big body center, played for the Calgary Hitmen. That's all we knew of him. Yeah. And like his stats with the Hitmen, he didn't really get to a point per game until his uh, draft plus. I think his draft eligible season or the season afterwards. So that'd be his 20. Yeah. 2018, 2019 would have been the year after he was draft eligible. It was the first time that he uh, scored a point per game in the WHL after being drafted by the senders uh, in that 2019 played another year with the hitman and then uh, played a bit in Belleville, played a bit in Ottawa and the rest is history. And we're talking about our cast. Like, I think we should talk about, his performance so far as an Ottawa senator, because as a bottom sixer, he's a big body. He's proven he can skate and he's actually not a bad player for what we got. No, exactly. And I think the moment that I really want to highlight in Mark Kaslik's career is, is I think it was one of his first games as an Ottawa senator. He scores a goal and instead of celebrating the goal, he goes and fights someone. That's how you know you got a real one. Just like how Ridley Greig gets suspended in his first I mean, I don't know if he could ever top that, though. Getting a goal and then fighting somebody. Yeah. No, that's just incredible. So good. So good. So, Tim, as much as we could sit here and talk about Mark Castle, like it would only delay the inevitable that we need to announce next week's cover athlete for next week's episode, season six, episode 24, and chronological order, episode 148. Only one name really that stuck out for me on the board, Tim. Uh huh. JBD, Jacob Bernard Docker. That's going to be an interesting episode because uh, we're coming up on decision time for JBD. So I think it'll be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be really fun. Now, what's also really fun, Tim, is asking the question our listeners love knowing every week how are things been going? It's been going good. Mostly just kind of managing things around the house, getting uh, work stuff set up, all that fun stuff. Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea went back to see her parents uh, just before the wedding, so it's just been just been me at home, and I've I've been handling it pretty good. Yeah, I'm... I ate food. Yo, speaking about eating food, so Delicio Pizza, McCain. I think it's McCain's anyway. They're getting out of the like the frozen game in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. and Delicio Pizza is not going to be a thing. So I'm like, you know what? It's just me. I don't need to spend a lot to keep me alive. I'm going to have one of those Delicio Pizzas for old time's sake. And then I had that, and one of my friends is like, oh, Tim, four cheese pizza. That doesn't keep with Lent. Cook it up, eat it. Man, this is Lent-appropriate food. Those pizzas are about as mid as they get. I mean, I don't know what you're expecting from a frozen pizza. It basically, you get the same sort of texture from eating the box. I mean, yeah. I was expecting some, like, I bought it not expecting much. Even then, I was underwhelmed. I don't actually remember the last time I've had a frozen pizza, though. You know what's funny? I think the last time I had a frozen pizza, it for me, it was one of those deals where I ate it, and I'm just like, 
yeah, I can understand why McCain is getting out of it. Yeah, and then it lasted me four days because, like, the recommended serving size was a quarter of the pizza. And after a quarter of the pizza, I was like, you know what? I'm good. Although it's odd because, like, the sauce is actually reasonable. It tastes reasonably good. It's just, even if you cook it right, the texture of the dough is just not great. No, and cheese is kind of the cheese is flavorless. Let's be real. Yeah, like I said, you might as well just be eating the box. Yeah. So, yeah, next time, next time I have pizza, I'll either make it myself or go somewhere else. It's like remember when you were living in Ottawa and you were with the bank and you're like, I need to have something to eat, so you sat and ate pizza in your underwear. Yep. I'm not doing that. I wore clothes while I ate my pizza this time. Oh, so you didn't fully go for the old time's sake? No. See, I think with Chelsea out of town, I think that would have been the move then. She made, like, she kind of lampshaded that, so I was like, no, I have to be better than this. But the bachelor joke, the bachelor food joke is just too funny. What if you wore shorts? I mean, I, I wear shorts in the house anyway, because it's more comfortable and then it just means that if I want to go work out I can just walk downstairs and don't have to change smart I I mean I get that I don't know if I could work at like what are you wearing like cargo shorts or are you just wearing oh I just just wearing like yeah I guess it's a pair of cargo shorts but I also just work work out in cargo shorts so it's not a big deal I have some athletic shorts too if I'm gonna go for a run see I don't know if I could do it I don't know if I could work out in car in cargo shorts I'm I mostly do like if I'm doing cardio, I'm on the bike and then I do my lift. So I don't need something super tight fitting. Okay, no, no, okay, that's fair. But like if I'm going to go for like a hiker or like a very long, like actually biking outdoors or running. Yeah, I want something form fitting. <clears throat> yeah, see, and that's what I was thinking, right? Because if you have if you have a bike, I mean, it's different. But if you're running or doing something like that, would and yeah, I yeah. totally understand more athletics. For me, like even when I work out, I'm I have a pair of Adidas shorts I got for my birthday. Yeah. They're great. Yeah, like uh for me I have like a pair of Under Armour spandex that I'll wear for just longer stuff. So like yeah, just tight fitting spandex shorts and those are great. Yeah, I had a pair of those. They're really nice. I actually you know what I used to do is before I got my compression pants with the cup i got a pair of compression pants oh okay and i wore shorts over top of it i don't think it really helped much it just was more looked cool really to me personally but then i used to get made fun of at work with some of the guys <laughs> saw me in it like oh like you're wearing leggings i'm like no they're not they're compression pants yeah they're good for me shut up <laughs> Yeah, I bought them specifically for hockey just because of the shin pads. I don't want them on my bare legs. Right. Yeah, especially if you have to tape. Yeah, well, thankfully, I have the one that has the straps with straps around. Okay. Strap digs into the back of my calf, and it's just like, oh, I don't want... Oh, yeah, you want something underneath that. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I think my shin pads were a little loose, so I'd wear a pair of sweatpants. And then everything would sit tight. I don't know if I would have worn sweatpants myself, but... That was a weird kid. (laughs) 
Yeah, and you know what you know what that weird and you know what that weird kid turned into, kid? Turned a weird adult a bachelor that wore pizza in his underwear. True. So I just I just turned into an average adult. <laughs> That's true. You know what really mind fucks me now is that you remember when we were kids when Rugrats was on? And you had the parents and they were in their 30s and now you look at them and that's those are what your friends look like. I mean. Yeah. Are you saying I look like Drew from the Rugrats? No. Okay. Because I certainly don't look like Stu. No. No, certainly not. Actually, there's a guy on the site. He kind of has like vibes of that dude. Stu Pickles? Yes. Yeah, with his hair sticking out like this. Oh, okay. And, like, it seems like he's just completely lost control of his life? Yeah, but he seems like he has somewhat control of his life. Okay. Yeah, because, like, the scene that everybody remembers of Stu is him up at, like, one in the morning making chocolate pudding. And people are like, and Didi's like, Stu, why are you making pudding? I've lost control of my life. Actually, there I think it was Anime Expo one year. There was a guy who cosplayed as Stu at one of the morning, and he just had a pot of uh, Jello pudding, and he was offering people a spoonful walking around the convention at 1 a.m. <laughs> it seems like such a niche costume to go as. <laughs> yeah, but he rocked it. That's like if I went to a convention and I went as Homer Simpson with the cowboy hat and air horn. Yeah, but like people will recognize it. I think it also helped that it was like 1 a.m. and he's walking around with the chocolate pudding. And like it's a common enough joke. He'll be like, okay. Oh my god, is that image in my head now, man? It's such a it's a it's a very pure image. The other one is just like for some reason the grandpa from uh, Rugrats. He was talking about Russian roulette. I'm like, this is a kid. This is a kid show about talking babies. How did you slip that one in? I know. You know who I always get mixed up is the grandfather from Hey Arnold and the grandpa from Rugrats. They they have different energy though. They do, and I think and I don't understand why I get those two confused. Although it is hilarious that Dan Castanetta, who voices Homer Simpson, is also the voice actor for Grandpa from Hey Arnold. What? He is. <laughs> yeah, he did that same voice in an episode of The Simpsons. Amazing. But I think it was Sunday, Cruddy Sunday, when they go to the Super Bowl. And Bart's like, hey, Dad, look, the oldest surviving player. I'm 53 years young. <laughs> Although, if I'm being honest, if I ever got a chance to meet Troy Aikman, I want to ask if he likes the Dune Buggies. Sadly, we'll never be able to meet Gerald Ford to ask him if he likes nachos and football. Yeah, and and maybe we'll finish with beer. Woo! Although, although, same with Jimmy Carter, we're almost to the point of life we'll never get to know what it was like when Cotton Hill shot his limo up with a nail gun. I'm so sad about that. That 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 sucks. That really, really sucks to hear about Jimmy Carter. But 
moving away from Jimmy Carter, Tim, I don't know if the listeners have noticed on this week's episode, but you might have heard a bit of an echo in the room. And that's because I'm in a new studio. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, I so like what you've done with the place. So this is something that I didn't talk about last week, but last week was the final episode in the old studio. I moved out. If only we heard like cheap, 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 just crickets in the background. <laughs> yeah, I officially made the move. I officially moved out, moved into the new studio. And it's not, I don't think it's the first time I've recorded Third Line Plug in here. Memory serves me correctly. No, I don't think so either. Although uh, we've also recorded from Katrina's kitchen. Yes, we did. Which is now where our couch is. Nice. Yeah, because we we moved everything around when I was announcing I was going to be moving in. And so, yeah, we moved the couch around. The new the new TV stand is going to be sitting where. What was it against the wall? Yeah, where the couch used to be. Yeah, so we're just moving stuff around, and it's all good, man. I've officially been in here for a couple of days. Nice. So have you found any... Is there anything that's just been like, I wasn't expecting this? Not really, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think because I'm on here all... Like, I'm always here anyway. So right. Right. The transition was not that great. I think it was just the weird thing for me was at the end of the day on Saturday when I officially moved everything out, got everything cleaned up, which is how empty my old room was. <laughs> and it's just like, oh man. And it's funny because I actually was going to drop that announcement on our Twitter that moving out of the new old studio. And then I realized how disgusting the carpets looked. Yeah, I should have said something about that. You didn't have to. I know. I knew they were disgusting. I'm guessing it was just like you never vac. You rarely vacuumed, or I I vacuumed. It's just been the fact that those carpets have been in there for like 20 years. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, it's just been years of years of me living in that room. And yes, you didn't have to or need to point that out. I know about it already. <laughs> I felt self-conscious the one day the one time you were in the studio and you're sitting there and you just like slide your finger across my desk and look at it with all the dust <laughs> I was like don't do that Tim sorry it's like Chelsea and I do keep things very clean but she also has a dust allergy so we have to right yeah but then dogs also just make dogs will wreck any carpet too right mm-hmm Especially how when we had four of them in there. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, so like there's not much you can do. No. No, there really, it really isn't, Tim. But very excited to be in the new studio. And I'm excited that this is actually the first episode of Third Line Plug. Sort of, I think, that we get to record in this room. So I do want to move away from here because I got two things I want to talk about for today's episode, Tim. Now, going back to last week's episode, you recall during to- top of the hour. We were talking about the Gary Bittman announcement where he talked about that three NHL cities or three cities had expressed interest in getting the NHL. Mm-hmm. Talked about how Atlanta was one. We went to a whole thing about we didn't know what the de- if there was a demand, what the nostalgia factor was in there. 
And I made a comment. I says, look, if anybody from Atlanta is listening to this, please reach out to us at Third Line Plug. Let us know. Is there a demand? Is there nostalgia? One day after that episode dropped, something got confirmed for me, Tim. Yeah. We have a listener in Atlanta. That's neat. It's really neat. So I want to give a shout out to at Joe Dolly. I hope I'm saying your name, Joe. I apologize. He actually reached out to us and says, this is his tweet here. Speaking about the demand slash nostalgia for the Thrashers, our biggest night at the Glads, the Atlanta Gladiators of the ECHL, this year was Thrashers night. It was a ton of fun. Definitely a demand here. And he sent me some screenshots and videos of where the, I guess, where the Gladiators played. Sellout. Crowd was going crazy. Very, very cool to see that. And, you know, I think I might have changed my tune a little bit about maybe Atlanta, Canada for this. Because, again, hmm. it goes back to what I said last week. It's like the NHL with expansion teams now, they're putting those teams in a position where that if you fail, that's on you. The NHL is giving you every opportunity to succeed now. It's good to see that there's fans there. And really, it is just a shame that the the first incarnation of the thrash, sorry, the second incarnation of the Thrashers were rather incompetent outside of that one good run. Yeah, and even that, I think they were just throwing everything and just hoping that they would make it into the playoffs. Right. Yeah, but you know what, though? For Atlanta, it really goes to show what quality ownership can do, right? I mean, Tampa yeah. Bay is a great example of that. You see what it was like when Len Berry in that group owned the team. You now see it with Jeff Finnick. Yeah, night and day. And you can kind of see that with Tom, Dund- Tom Dundon and the Hurricanes. Oh, 100%. 100%. Now, moving away from Atlanta, now we're talking about the quality ownership and all that good stuff. As you may know, there's a hockey podcast called Spit and Chicklets. We've talked about them on the podcast a number of times. I've always mentioned that while I don't listen to full episodes, I do like some of their interviews, especially when they get really good guests on because they're very, very engaging when listening to them. And this past week, they had a huge episode drop. Former NHLer, hockey analyst, general manager, Mike Milbury. Okay. So Mike Milbury's episode dropped. My first reaction was, oh, I got to listen to this. <laughs> I got to listen to this because if anything, he is going to drop some dirt and some great quotes. And he definitely talked about, he talked about his playing days with the Bruins. He talked about how we got into head coaching and management. The one section of the interview I want to highlight though, he talked about his tenure as GM of the New York Islanders. And as you know, this run with the Islanders was putting it disaster is very light. Yeah. Because, and I think I've mentioned here on the podcast, Tim, that it's one of those things where like, if I had an unlimited budget for the show and (laughs) they gave me the opportunity of saying, okay, who do you want to talk to? Mike Mike Bilberry is a guy I want to talk to just because I want to get his rationale on some of the trades he made with the Islanders because you look at them, even at the time you look at them and they're like, why are they making this trade? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? 
And Mike Milbury was brutally honest about that tenure. And he says, you know what? I didn't do a good job at either role of head coach and GM, but it also, he brings up, and I have to say, maybe after listening to this interview, I think I got to look at Mike Mil- Mil- Mike Milbury's tenure as GM much different. One thing he definitely highlights when talking about his tenure with the Islanders, the lack of quality ownership. Right. Because you've got to realize the Islanders in the year, I think in the decade he was with them, he went through John Pickett, the Gang of Four. Garth Snow, right? No, that was uh, GM. Right. You're all owners, by the way. Pick John Pickett, Gang of Four. I mean, John Spano, quote-unquote. He had this other ownership group that came in, and then Charles Wang. Right, Charles Wang. He can't, talked about just how he was trying to make moves, and then ownership would come to him and be like, hey, by the way, we need you to cut payroll by 25%. And it's like, okay, well, I can't sell off 15 guys making 500K. I got to sell some of the big guys. So that's why he saw, that's why he sent off guys like Wendell Clark and Matthew Schneider. That's why he made trades like that, right? Because ownership says, okay, well, you have to cut salary. Or you have to do this. Or you have to do that now. Because you're putting it in a position where you can't succeed. Right. And it's, that's kind of funny though. It's like, I just... The Islanders were known for just having this very almost rabid fan base in the early 90s. So it's just kind of wild to me that a New York team couldn't afford to put players on the ice. Yeah, but I think by the early 90s, it got to a point where that run of success they had in the early 80s with their cup runs and all that stuff dried up. Right. So you were playing in front of three quarters to maybe half full every night right so the revenue is not there and the nassau coliseum was a hole at the time so for milbury i mean i get a sense that i wonder what his tenure in the island would have been like if he had say a john ledecky where you see two owners that will put the money in and bring quality guys in and let them run the show right but then i do wonder if it's uh it might not have been that much better, especially like picking Rick DiPietro over Heatley or Gabarik. Still trading Spezza when he probably didn't have to. Yeah, I, I think though that... Here's the thing though. I think with the DiPietro one, I think that's very much a hindsight. It could, it could have been seen as a real hindsight thing. Yes, the talent of Gabarik and Heatley were very evident. Well, nobody takes Rick, a goalie first overall. The thing, Rick DiPietro was not considered a top three player for no reason. I mean, sure, but goalies are every like goalies or voodoo has been known forever. You don't use the first overall on a goalie. True, but I mean, in fairness, outside of the first time it happened and Rick DiPietro, it worked out good. When Tom Barrasso, Mark Andre Fleury got taken first overall, right? But both Mark Andre Fleury's year was notably weak, in a way that that two thousand that ninety nine draft was not. Wait, are you talking about like the NHL Sorry. year or the draft year? The draft year. 
Oh, Sorry, I was that... going to say, I don't know if the 2003 draft class is considered weak. Oh, right. The 03 one. But yeah, no, I I don't think taking Flurry first overall was a correct pick either. Well, I don't know. Like, I, I think taking a goalie first overall is just not good asset management. Given yeah. just how random goalies are. Yeah. But also, I mean, injuries really derailed. DPA oh, for sure. Too, right? Like, yeah, that part's hindsight 2020, but I don't know. I don't think you would ever get the value you would have needed out of uh, DiPietro. Yeah. Even if he wasn't injured, right? Well, the funny thing is, even if you look at, because they had Roberto Luongo in the system, but even Roberto Luongo was not Roberto Luongo. You can tell he was definitely struggling in the island. Oh, yeah. I mean, it didn't help the team in front of him was hot garbage. But the one trade I was really surprised he didn't go super in-depth about was the Yashin deal. Because he did bring it up, and he was very clear. He says, you know, we made the Yashin deal, and he knew that was going to end terribly. He very, You could definitely get a sense when he talks about it. He knew that was going to fail. Well, the hard thing... I will give Milbury some defense on that one because he had another deal lined up with Dallas that was probably more better for the Islanders. When that fell through and Ottawa was the only game in town, all of a sudden, yeah, that that trade just ended poorly because like Rick, like uh, Milbury was again tasked by ownership to go find an All Star. Yeah. And with Yashin, I mean, guys like Yashin at, at the time did not grow on trees. No. And I'm sure Milbury was tired of all the losing, and he was like, okay, we need to turn this thing around now. So well, that's ownership he, told him, you have to turn this around now. Well, even, I think he would have. But, I mean, he talked about, even in the interview, he had a deal in place with Boston to get Jason Allison. Yeah. Who was a good player, and... Peter Laviolette remembers him from Boston. And that was going to be a deal. He says, yeah, we had a place, we had a trading, you know, we had a trade in place, all that good stuff. Ownership says, yeah, you can't make that deal. Because Dave Scatcherd was going the other way. He was like a bottom six player. And Mike says, well, why can't we make this? Well, Dave Scatcherd's part of it. Yeah, and? Well, Dave Scatcherd and the ownership told him, well, he's the kind of guy we need around here because he goes and visits sick kids in the hospital. And Milbury's answer, which kind of chuckled, was uh, more of a, well, that's great that he does that, but we're trying to build a hockey team, not a rehab ward. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Now, I'm very curious because you made a comment about another deal with Dallas. What uh, con- what deal was that? Wrap off to go back to the athletic art. It was an, actually an athletic article that was written by, I forget, I think it, Ian Mendez was part of it, but... um. Milbury spoke extensively on like, yeah, like I had, he had a few deals lined up and all of them fell through. Yeah. So it's like, although you're actually saying that like Luongo wasn't doing too hot on the island. Luongo played one season at age 20 with the Islanders and put up a point nine oh four. Really? Yeah. He played 24 games, 7 wins, 14 losses, 1 tie. 70 goals on 7 730 shots against for a 904. 
versus DiPietro, who had in his for in his first real season at like his first real season was oh three oh four at age twenty two, where he stopped nine eleven, where he had a nine eleven. By then, Luongo was probably the better goalie. Okay. Jesus, clearly I'm talking out of my ass here. Yeah, because that 904 was his Luongo's worst season until until his last. Oh, sorry about that, guys. Yeah. No, I, so like I, I actually had been under the assumption that because I, I I swore I had seen his numbers prior and I thought, oh my god, this guy is doing terribly in the island. Yeah. No. Uh yeah, so no, uh, Luongo was he played well enough in his first year, then got traded in, uh, got traded the next year, be probably because they drafted DiPietro. Yeah, although Mike Milbury did make a few deals with the Islanders that was good. He won't need, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he made a trade for Mike Pekka, he brought in Chris Osgood, and they had like a 40 point swing into the playoffs. Yeah, so that really helped. I'm trying to think there was another deal. I mean, the Brian Berard deal was pretty good for them. He got one rookie of the year, but he ended up trading him. And they even actually started up. Brian Berard was even on spit chicklets a couple of years ago, talking about the Islanders. And he says, you know, you look at that roster, especially on defense, you had six guys there who could have played 10 years together. Him, Kenny Johnson, Chara. Uh, who's also on that team. Brian McCabe. Like, they had, like, five or six guys on that blue line that was just like, holy shit, if they stayed together, they would have been so good. But Milbury got so impatient, he started trading guys away. Yeah. I'm not sure it would have gone better for Milbury. But, yeah, like, that 0102 season, just, it was night and day compared to the 2000-2001 season. Yeah, I think it would have been... I think it would have been better for him in the island, if I'm being honest, if they had, like I said, John Ledecky there, but I guess we'll never find no now. Yeah. But like, yeah, the Islanders have had a more recent string of success. We'll put a pin on that until uh, we actually see the results of this year. Because they could, it's unlikely, but they still could miss the playoffs. That's true, Tim. I mean, they could miss the playoffs, but I'll tell you something that they also couldn't do. A segue into this segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. I swear, I'm going to have to put, like, some stuff on the wall so it's not echoing in here, because the room is actually... It's so barren in here. Right. So I'm going to have to figure something out then, but... Just toilet paper the room, easy. I don't know if Katrina will appreciate that. She'll but... love it. Avant-garde interior design. All right. Well, I'll tell you, next time you see her, you try and convince her that. Now, while we're going to be doing that, Tim, for top of the hour. Yeah. You know, we haven't really talked about Obi-Watch in a while. So let's kick off top of the hour by talking about some Obi-Watch. Washington Capitals captain Alex Ovechkin passed Wayne Gretzky for the most 40-goal seasons in NHL history with 13. Going to be honest with you, 
I could not have told you how many 40 goal seasons Gretzky had. I couldn't have either. I guess it, I find that a little surprising though. But I guess like Gretzky, Gretzky's just, how do I, I guess the other thing with Gretzky is he had a ton of points, but like he did have that one to two goal to assist ratio. True. But I mean, still, he was putting up 50 goals almost every year. Yeah. So to see Ovechkin pass, that's kind of neat. I would be very interested to know how many 50-goal seasons Gretzky had. Because that's what I'd be really interested in if Ovechkin could hit that. Yeah. But like 50 a season in the modern NHL is tough. Yeah. And we even saw it this past season where Pasternak, once again, hit 50 for the first time. Yeah. On like a, a really good Bruins team. Yeah. I tell you that if pa- if Pasternak keeps going the way he is, that contract, oh, so, oh, yeah. so good for the Bruins. So we're going to move away from talking about Alex Ovechkin to talk about the other phenom of the modern NHL, Sidney Crosby. Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby became the first player in NHL history to record a 30-goal season as an 18-year-old player and at age 30, not 35, or older. Again, another record I would not have thought of. Yeah, no. Although I guess that 35 or old, older stipulation does make it a little more conditioned. So it's like, okay. But that's also just something I wouldn't have thought of, right? That is true. That is true. But you know what? I think we're getting to the point with guys like Crosby and Ovechkin and these guys were just like, what do you even say about them anymore? Because it seems like we've said pretty much everything that could be said. I hate that Crosby's 35, though. Let's be real. I know. It's hard to believe, man. It's like almost like our childhood and our early adult years are already going coming to an end. Yeah, we don't even get to be young adults anymore. We're just adults. I don't like this world anymore, Tim. Can I go back? No, no. So we're gonna no, give. No. So we're gonna give. Excuse me. So we're gonna move away and talk about Sid and Ovi to talk about the new phenom in the NHL, Connor McDavid. Edmonton, Edmonton Oilers captain Connor McDavid became the twenty-second player in NHL history to record sixty goals in the season, while also being the fourth active skater to hit the mark. That's insane. So you think hitting fifty in the modern age is impressive? Hit 60. Connor McDavid decided that he, he, he was mad that Austin Matthews won a trophy. So he's taking it out on the rest of the NHL. This year is just stupid. And like with with ten, nine games remaining, he could hit 70. That's dumb. That's Do you like, think he hits 150 points? I don't think it's out of the question. This is something that you would see in the EA NHL games. Yeah. Well, remember at the beginning of the year where I said 200 wasn't out of the question the way he was playing? Yeah. The guy had a slump and a goalless drought, and he's still hitting at 150. Actually, just crazy stuff. Yeah, no, this guy is sick, man. I mean, again, with even with McDavid, I mean, what do you even say about him anymore? It seems like everything we can be said has already been said. Yeah. 
So we're going to move away, Tim, from talking about players and records. We've got an announcement to make. Ooh. So, you know, the topic has come up in the last couple of weeks for the show that we talked about that Adidas has announced that they're not going to be renewing their contract to do the jersey yeah. for the NHL as of 2024. And, you know, we talked about this on the show in the last couple of weeks. We've talked about, you know, you could see, because I heard Nike was in there and Starter was in there. And I said Under Armour would be my f- pick to win that because, you know, they do all the athletic gear and all that stuff for the NHL. Well, it appears that the NHL has a new partner for their official uniform starting in 2024. And let me tell you, Tim. <sighs> the NHL have announced that Fanatics will replace Adidas as the official uniform partner starting in 2024. Yeah, that's... I've never seen an, a league drop the ball so hard in my life. Because again, you think of the companies who were in running for that. Nike, who's a sports giant. Under Armour, who's a sports giant. Starter, who brought back the starter jackets. And you go with fucking fanatics. You go I, with... have, I have never seen a jersey that is made by fanatics and doesn't look like a knockoff. Like, I think The Athletic called them the company that makes crappy t-shirts. Fanatics, to me, they seem like the company, if you go down to, like, to like a flea market and you see like the custom handmade t-shirts with the iron on pictures. Yeah. That's exactly what they are. Exactly. Yeah. Like the logo, the crests always just look bad. They look faded. They look so cheap looking. That's the only thing I will praise fanatics on is, and I've said this before, I like the fit of the jerseys. I don't like anything else about it. Yeah. I might not even like the fit though, because I think I, I like the I kind of like the baggier. Well, I like the baggier and the tight fits. There was a part of me that was just like deep in my heart of hearts that Reebok would come back and we'd get the edge jerseys again. Cause those were cool. Yeah, they were pretty awesome. They were pretty awesome. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. But I, I'm very curious as to why the NHL went with fanatics over these other companies though. Maybe Fanatics was the cheapest? I don't know. I don't know? Well, I guess it's like Fanatics can make a very very wide range of products in a very short amount of time. So maybe that's why they went with them. But it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah, and I get that's probably why the NHL partnered with them years ago to make ones that were not the authentic ones, but they were kind of the ones that you can get for cheaper. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like, Fanatics are, like, they just, Fanatics just started out as one store in Florida, if I believe, if my history is correct. And then it just started producing... A bunch of stuff, yeah. 
created an apparel logistics company that should then turn to commerce, multi-billion e-doors, and then it merged with another company. I guess like maybe I'm not, but they also bought like tops and stuff. So maybe like that helped. It's like, okay, they're also making the hockey cards and maybe they just want to sell Jersey NFTs. Otherwise not very happy about that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think you could have done better, but I don't know if you could have done worse. You know what? I think I agree with that statement. You definitely could have done better. I don't think you could have done worse. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Tim, if the NHL partnering with Finax to do their official uniforms was a black eye, I'll tell you, this next story doesn't really help things. Arizona Coyotes minority owner Andrew Barraway was arrested in Aspen, Colorado on a felony strangulation charge and a misdemeanor third degree assault charge. Barraway was also suspended indefinitely by the NHL. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I just really love when the law gets over like gets kind of like overloaded. So you just get these very funny ways of like charges lining up where strangulation is probably a very specific type of assault charge, but it's like strangulation felony, third degree assault misdemeanor. It just seems very funny as if like the uh, the assault wasn't the pro the big problem here it was the fact that he strangled her as if like. Oh, he shouldn't been he should have been assaulting people at all. Yeah. Maybe like it, don't maybe don't do that. Yeah, like I get like I get it. There was no actual problem, but it just seems so just it always reads funny, but yeah, uh just an, another another stop on the Coyotes clown show. Yeah, and it's funny because it's not even the first time that anybody in either ownership or management of an Arizona sports team has been arrested and charged with something. Yeah. Like, I'm sure I've told you about the GM of the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. He was charged for extreme DUI. How, how drunk do you have to be to get an extreme DUI in Arizona? Oh, let's look that one up. An extreme DUI. That's oh, you know how level of drunk you need to be. Yeah, Ami Salo drunk. Uh, point one five or higher. Yeah, what was Tommy Salo? His his was like he was point three. Yeah, his was like crazy. It was like point three point four. Like, how are you not dead? Like, no, actually, we're like that can be a fatal. Like, when we were talking about that story, that was two or three years ago. Like, we're like. Yeah, for some people that is a lethal dose. Like that is an L that is an LD fifty. Actually, I think 0. 0.30 is the LD fifty for alcohol. So like the median person will die from that drinking that much. And somehow he got behind a wheel. And somehow Tommy Sal proved that anything is possible. Yeah, that's fucked. Holy shit. Yeah, it's fucked, man. But I'll tell you one thing, we're going to move away from talking about some fucked news to talk about a good news story. The National Predators have unveiled the statue for former goaltender Pekka Rene outside of Bridgestone Arena. Rene played his entire NHL career with the National Predators, recording a 369, 213, and 75 record while playing in four All-Star games and winning his lone Vesna trophy in 2018. He really was kind of the face of that Nashville Predators team for a long time. 
So I'm not surprised that he's getting a statue. It's really great to see that these legends and these icons of these teams are getting statues now. Yeah, because like, I wonder, who do you think would get a statue at the new Senators Arena? Alfie. Alfie. Because like, I know Maple Leaf, like outside of the Air Canada Center, you've got, you got your Leafs legends. Yeah, legends row. And even in Vancouver, you have Roger Nielsen. I don't think I don't think we have any player statues around the Saddle Dome because it's kind of like situated in the Stampede Park. But I wouldn't be surprised if you get like if they did decide to do a Legends Row, you get like Joe Newendike, Jerome McKinla. Maybe not Kiprasov. Yeah, Lanny McDonald. Lanny McDonald for sure. You would probably actually get a Bret Hart statue. I was just about to say no, that. You too, definitely I'm would. Calgary athletes, it has to be Bret Hart. Yeah. Which, by the way, did we mention it last week's episode? Yeah, we did. Okay, I was going to say, I couldn't remember if we mentioned that he has a statue up in the rafters at the Saddle Dome now. Yeah, no. It was a nice little ceremony they did. Yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Hart family has their own like wrestling company in Calgary now. Yes. I think that's part of the reason why AEW is coming to the Stampede. Oh my god, you have no idea how excited I would be if I got to go to that. But unfortunately, we got Katrina and I have plans that night. Uh, I even looked into tickets too, and I was like, I wonder if I can convince Tim and Chelsea to come with us. Now we will never know, Tim. But no, I think that's really cool. Pecorino gets a statue. The only one I think, and we talked about the Dustin Brown one in L.A., People are still kind of mixed about that one. Really? Yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, I I mean, the Gretzky one is obvious. But I wouldn't be surprised in the future you see a Kobe statue. Well, just because of how tragic that was. So, unfortunately, we got a sad news story to talk about, Tim. And thankfully, it's not a death, but it yep. is a retirement. Vancouver Canucks color commentator John Garrett announced that he will retire from his role at the end of the season. Garrett, whom also had an 11-year NHL and WHA career, began working as a color commentator in 1986 and later joined the Canucks in 2002. So for somebody like myself who's born and raised here in British Columbia, John Garrett really did mean a lot to hockey fans in British Columbia, especially who watched those regional games with the Canucks when him and John Shorehouse were doing them on Sportsnet. And even prior to there, like they had Jim Houston doing those games. And Garrett Screech is Screech, I think. What's his fucking name? But John yeah. Garrett's one of those guys who very much just a part of the fabric of what people associate with the Canucks. Yeah. Although at the same time, it's like we've had quite a few big retirements from color commentary and commentary in general in the last few years with Bob Cole uh, retiring before COVID, Jim Houston. That was a bit of a surprise, actually. So we are definitely getting to that time when a lot of that talent is going to be retiring, but at the same time, I think we're actually starting to get a pretty good, ta- uh, a pretty good stable of 
good new commentators coming up. Like, uh, Ottawa definitely got one of the B teams on for commentary on Sportsnet on Saturday night. But uh, the team was probably the most excitable that I've heard on Sportsnet. And they were just really fun to listen to. Yeah, I mean, they will, they'll never be beat with the A-team for TSN that we have, whether where it's Gord Miller, Noodles, Mike Johnson. Uh, who else does the commentator for that game? But yeah, Jamal Myers was, I think oh, it was Jamal, Jamal Myers. Ma- yeah, Jamal Myers. And I forgot who he was paired with, but uh, no, they were a great commentary team. Oh, Rick Ball. He was with Rick Ball. Okay, Rick Ball, yeah. Yeah, so like that that was a great, great combo. So like and then uh I'm blanking on the name of the gentleman who did the Bonino call in the the Punjabi podcast who sorry, the Punjabi uh, cast that now does English games as well. Oh I know exactly who you're talking about. I can't. Yeah, like he he's fantastic. No, he is very, very good. No, hundred percent. I completely agree with that. When Cassie Campbell's not covering Calgary, she's fine. Yeah, she's like Kelly Rudy. Kelly, my dad hated Kelly Rudy because he was so biased towards Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> so sticking with the Canucks, Tim. Now this next story, actually, I don't want to say it caught me off guard, but I was like, okay, this is going to be a really cool project. ESPN has announced that production has been completed on an upcoming 30 for 30 documentary entitled I'm Just Here for the Riot which covers the 2011 Vancouver Stanley Cup riot. I remember watching that on TV. See, it's so funny because that riot was like the day before your graduation ceremony, which just makes it even funnier. Because I remember coming back from, like, I started work that day at like 11. Like all, like the people, I was working on the base at the time and I was talking with like the cooks and some of the other food staff and we're like, yeah, if, if Boston wins, what do you guys think's going to happen? And we're like, I don't know, man. And then, like, I remember driving back as the game was happening and just periodically checking my phone. And this was back before 4G was a thing, back before LTE, back before 5G. So we, I still had, like, a 3G connection that would would drop connection what, as soon as you got on the Malahat and really wouldn't get it back until Mill Bay. And then it would drop it again as you got towards, until you got back into Duncan. Like that bad of like that's how bad cellular data was in Canada in 2011. And every time I get reception again, I'd look at my phone and be like, "Oh," as the game just looked dumber and dumber. And I remember watching the third period; it was four nothing, and that game just spiraled. Like it looked like the Canucks were either out of gas or just stopped caring. And yeah, then the riot started. You know what though. Say what you will, those riots were going to occur regardless. And I remember even at the beginning of that playoff run, I remember saying, if the Canucks get to the Stanley Cup Finals, Vancouver is going to make 1994 look like nothing. Because they also rioted in 1994 after the Cup of Game 7 against the Rangers. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about that riot in particular, because you know what, Tim, for myself, being born and raised here in British Columbia... People who are not from here will never truly understand what an embarrassment that really was, especially, and here's something that a lot of people tend to forget when you talk about that riot, 
16 months prior, Vancouver had their greatest triumph hosting the Olympics. Yeah, like the the Olympics were under budget, on time, and probably the most fun that Canadians had watching hockey in a very long time. That that tournament was incredible. And then you turn around and you have this rinky-dink riot. And I remember people from the island, like one of the guys that was a bit older than us, uh, we went to Q&A. It's like we went to middle school and high school with him. He organized a, a volunteer cleanup effort. Like that's how embarrassed people were. Yep. And, and I like, remember- I remember people like, no, you can't punish these people. Or I'm like, a lot of people were very unhappy and they were, they were calling for like the police to heavily prosecute people. Yeah. Which I think is that, yeah, it was just pure vandalism. There was no excuse for it. Yeah. And the thing is about that riot is that I was supposed to, I was supposed to go to Vancouver for that day because my dad and one of his friends were going over and I thought about too, but I was just really sick. I couldn't go. Mm. And it was one of those things where I'm watching it on TV and I'm thinking, Oh, this is not going to go well. And then immediately after the game ends, it cuts to downtown. Here's another thing people tend to forget. It was immediate. It was immediate. But here's the thing where those riots occurred. If you're not from Vancouver, you will not truly understand how close that was to Rogers Arena. The arena is right downtown. Those riots were maybe a three, four minute walk up the road. Like, I would not be surprised if there was people filtering out of the arena and immediately joining the riots. Well, I remember reading somewhere because the Queen Elizabeth Theater is right by Rogers Arena. Yeah. And they had a production of Wicket going on that night. And the people at the theater, they went in the PA and they would not let people leave. Yep. They says, okay, I'm glad you enjoyed the show. Listen, we can't let you leave. They're rioting outside. You were basically walking into that. Yeah. And like that, I remember the news. And I guess the other thing that didn't help is I feel like I remember news reports as that series got worse. Like the tone, the coverage, like the coverage around the sports was like, you know what? They got to do it. They'll make it. Game seven's going to be this big deal. But like, I, there, there seemed to be this undertone to the reporting. Like I, they better win. But like social media. Yeah. It was like, we're, you knew something was going to happen. That was, and it's funny, that was the beginning of like Twitter becoming a really, a real thing. Instagram was not a thing yet. Facebook was at its peak. Exactly. Imagine if social media in 2023 was now what it was then. Well, look at the George Floyd riots. Like social media sustained that. Yep. Like, the Vancouver riots would not get to the same degree as the George Floyd ones because the offense is nowhere near what the George Floyd incident was. Yeah. Because like, the George Floyd murder, yeah. One, but uh, One's murder, the other's just a hockey, a hockey game. game. But, 
yeah, that riot would have been there. It would have been easier sustained. I think a lot of the police actions would have, would have been more difficult because, but because like communications and vi- the big one is video live anyone being able to send live video makes coordination so much easier yeah because in 2011 you're going off what cctv cams like cctv can't like then that the news chopper and if you got cell phone footage at all it was the grainiest thing you ever seen like the best camera on the market, I believe, on a phone, I believe, would have been the iPhone 4. Mm-hmm. And most people would have had a data plan that maxed out at one gigabyte. There's no way you're sharing video. Yeah. And, like, free Wi-Fi, it wasn't quite as ubiquitous as it is now, but I think Shaw, like, the Shaw open infrastructure was there. So you might have seen video, the data cap might not have been as big of an issue, but speed was certainly a problem. So like, I just don't think you would get the same proliferation of videos of rioting outside of the media that you would, you got during the 2020 George Floyd protests or any modern protest. Yeah. And that is a game changer because yeah, it allows for coordination, allows people to know where the hotspots are and either re Re- go re- reinforce or re-aggravate the hotspots. And that just makes the job so much harder for police. It also it also allows for deceptively edited video to make a police action look far more brutal than it actually is. Not to discount that police brutality could have happened, and I remember people trying to argue that the police handling of that Vancouver riot was more brutal than it needed to be. Yeah, I don't think what we saw what we saw from the media and what you saw from eyewitness counts probably doesn't really bear that out. No, I will say one thing about the 2011 riots. And it's funny because when you see big gatherings like that right downtown, I wonder how much of the riots that happened in Vancouver greatly influenced how cities like Toronto hosted events like that for, say, the Blue Jays and the Rap, especially for the Raptors during their Jurassic Park years. I wonder. But I also think that one of the bigger influences, and this is one where I think Vancouver missed, was the Battle of Seattle. Yeah, with the WTO riots. Yeah, with the WTO riots. I think that was a, like, a lot. So uh, I used to be a security guard, and... This was around 2013, 2014. A lot of our training material was hard fought lessons from the tactics deployed by the Black Bloc in the Battle of Seattle. There was a mention of the like spontaneous riots like 20 the 2011 Cup riots. But I think they probably had some effect, just kind of on how like a crowd like a crowd can go bad or how to identify someone who's probably not not there to watch the game. Yeah, and I know even, apparently from what I understand, I don't know if this is true or not, but the Seattle Police Department now uses that as, like, training training for, uh, like, what they learned during the WTO riots. Oh, yeah, they do. Uh, The WTO, the lessons learned from the WTO riots are pretty much standard training nowadays because of just how disruptive they are. And it's interesting because, like, they're... 
go back and watch if you go back and watch a lot of, there's a lot of footage of those floyd riots it's very like for someone who's had that sort of try tra- training i remember watching those videos and just seeing like yep that's a wto tactic where people are like like one of the ones that i really remember uh people the video on twitter showed a police line a, was moving forward and there was a man one of the men who was part of the demonstration fell down and someone ran up to give aid to the person as the police line was advancing and a support officer from behind the line comes up shoes the person away and lets the police line advance and people are like that's awful that that guy was just trying to help and what the real rationale of that motion is is you cannot give first aid to someone effectively in front of the police line you can administer aid effectively behind the police line because the area behind the police line is safe. And the reason why you would see a riot, like someone who's trying to inflame the riot, give immediate care in front of the line is to stop the line from advancing, which then leads to more people getting hurt because the police can't clear the quarter. And that's something that, I remember learning from those videos that were based on what happened in the Battle of Seattle. So thankfully, Tim, we only got one re-signing to talk about. Colorado Avalanche have re-signed head coach Jared Bednar to a three-year contract extension. Bednar, who became the Avalanche's head coach in August of 2016, has recorded a 281-190-52 record while leading the Avalanche to two division titles and a Stanley Cup in 2022. Yeah, this is a this is a I think a good pickup for Colorado, especially uh with Jared Bednar being able to keep his team afloat despite a million and one injuries. Yeah. And it's funny how quiet this signing is, right? Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent, man. I think it's because you know what? Again, I think it goes back to the West Coast bias. People tend to for not really think of the West Coast as being I don't want to. What am I trying to say? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a West Coast thing for me. I think part of it's all. And uh, Pierre LeBrun raised this in the Athletic. He mentioned that J- Jared Bednar himself is kind of a quiet guy, mm-hmm. so he might have just wanted it to be a quiet signing. So, like that might just that bias might just work out for him. Yeah, I agree with that. So we do have a suspension to talk about, Tim, but that's not the real reason I want to talk about this. It's because there was also a fine involved. In oh, your defense. favorite. Yeah, exactly, man. Boston Bruins forward A.J. Greer was suspended one game for cross-checking Montreal Canadiens forward Mike Hoffman. Greer also forfeited, ready for this, $4,121 and 62 cents. I didn't see the play, but it must have been a hell of a cross-check. Basically, what happened on the play was that they were going in for the faceoff. Hoffman gave Greer a whack. So Greer just turns around and cross-checked him. I don't know if you can see that right there. Oh, right across the teeth. And that split him open. Yeah. He's got a big scar. Good big swollen jaw. And even, like, Mike Hoffman went to social media after that. He goes, really? I thought that cross-checking a guy in the face was worth more than one game. Yeah. No, yeah, like that sort of aggrieved hit. It that is suspension worthy. Hundred <laughs> percent, man. So we're going to close off top of the air by talking about an Ottawa Senators story. The Ottawa Senators have re- 
Ottawa Senators have signed defenseman Tyler Clevin to a three-year entry-level contract. Clevin had recorded eight goals, 10 assists for 18 points in 35 games for the University of North Dakota. Clevin's another one of those guys where people were wondering why Pierre Dorian traded it up to draft Clevin, but honestly, it's looking pretty good. We've got another NHL-ready defenseman, which for a mid-second router, pretty good. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which means only one thing. Sam, we're trying to talk about some games. Now, we got four games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Penguins, Sens versus the Bruins, Lightning versus the Sens, and the Sens versus the Devils. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Penguins. This is a 2-1 to one Senators victory. Sens goals were scored by Tomas Shibat and Drake Batherson, and Ricardo Cal got the lone Pens goal. Shots were 49-21 with the Penguins. So I did condense watch. So I did condense this game since we were recording last week. Three words. Pens got sensed. Pens got sensed. And uh, Dylan Ferguson has himself a night. He really did. And this is his first start for the Ottawa Senators, the true MVP of this game with 48 saves. But not only that, Tim. Vancouver Islander. Um, yeah, you're saying he's from Lanceville. Grew up in Lanceville, just up the road in the, from Nanaimo. Nice. But yeah, this was a game where Ottawa just seemed out. So uh, it, they really needed a goalie to kind of step up for them. The other funny thing is just how ineffective Tristan Jari was where he kind of kind of gift wrapped Ottawa the first goal he really did and that goal obviously was scored by Tomas Shabbat one goal on three shots the one thing I gotta really say about that goal is I love the little move he did to go around the player and then rest at home yeah no that was just beauty play but the rest of that game, not so much. I do want to make one more comment on Dylan Ferguson before we head off into the second game of the evening. Is through our buddy Andrew, yeah. who, of course, he's the bass player in a lot of local rock bands, also did the logo for our podcast, and we went to high school with him. So he was playing in a band one time, and the band that opened up for him, I can't recall the name, but this gentleman, Liam, he played guitar for this other band. Yep. And he was managing the sports store in Nanaimo. And this is, I don't know how many years ago now. And so he's working there one day. And this kid comes down from Lanceville looking for a job. He said, yeah, I'm here for the summer. I play hockey, whatever. It was Dylan Ferguson. That's incredible. That's yeah. actually so cool. And he brought this up on social media after Dylan Ferguson played in this first NHL game with the Vegas Golden Knights. Nice. So now he's played a game with the Senators. Yeah, he's played a couple of them even. So, so we have a, a two degree, sorry, that would be three degrees of separation to a Sens player? Yep. Nice. Exactly. Sens How is it all goalies that we have these degrees of separation with? I'm not too sure. 
I'm not too sure, man, but it's really great to see that we're getting it, though. Yeah. Sens versus Bruins. This is a two to one Bruins victory. Gil Dylan Gambrell got the lone Sens goal. Bruins goes scored by David Krejci and Jake DeBrusque. Shots for 41 35 for the Senators. I really got to hand it to the Ottawa Senators on this one. To hold the Boston Bruins to just two goals is pretty impressive. Yeah, the other big thing that I noticed about the Sens in this game is they were playing toe-to-toe with Boston until they were just out of gas in the third. And they gave the game the the attention it was due, and I thought they looked pretty good for most of the game. And the fact that the Kachuk-Stutzla-Giroux pair line won their pairing against, sorry, won their matchup against uh, both both the DeBrusque and the, sorry, the Bergeron and the Quail lines is impressive. And that they made Lindholm and Carlo look kind of dumb in the process. You can't ask for more. No, and just exactly. another very, very good game from the Sander- sanderson Zub pairing. Yeah, and another guy who had a really good bounce back game here, Matt Sogard, 33 saves, a .943 save percentage. You know, and I was watching these on the condensed version, Tim, and I gotta say, I can't really blame him on those goals. There's not a ton he could have done on that. No, they were good goals. And the more important thing is, is after those two, door shut. And he gave the Ottawa Senators a chance to get back in it. And that's all that's all you can ask for. Like, it was a good game by the Senators. It was a good game by Boston. And if that's what both these teams look like going forward, then we have a bright future. Yeah, that's all we can really say about this game, man. So, Tim, are you ready to head off into the third game of the evening? Yep. Lightning versus Senators. This is a 7-2 Senators victory. Lightning goals are scored by Braden Point and Mikhail Sergeyev. Sens goals are scored by Alex Debrinkat with two, Braden Chuck with two, Derek Brizard, Eric Brassrum, and Austin Watson. Shots were 35-29 for the Senators. Okay, you know what? I'm going to include it right here. Now. I do want to say about this game, though, Tim, watching the game while I'm on the treadmill at work, at, at the gym, yeah, kind of hits definitely, especially when Alex DeBrinkett scores two goals in the first period. And that's what really ended the game for, sorry, for Tampa there, eh? Yeah, Tampa just didn't really seem all that into it. No. And Ottawa just re- outplayed them pretty much the whole game. And... I remember watching that game and the only real thought I had is like, this team isn't going far in the playoffs. No. I mean, in fairness, if you watched how they played against Toronto in the playoffs last year, we said the same thing. This team. Yeah. They made it to the cup final. Yeah. But like, it just looked, every breakout looked disjointed and yeah, it just didn't seem that interesting. And yeah, Brian Elliott, Played Brian Elliott hockey. Yeah. I do love the fact that somebody made a comment during the broadcast talking about Brian Elliott, how he was taken in the ninth round and how they don't even have that round anymore. Yeah. But also they talked about the Elliott for Anderson deal because they were talking about how both goalies were in this limbo of 
maybe their careers were pretty much over at this point. And they've both played this season. And they're both still playing. 12 years after that trade. That's another one that I don't like. That trade and the the Vancouver Riots were also 12 years. Man, you know what's wild? I was in Univ I was doing my first year at a university when all that stuff was going down. I was in 12th grade. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely. Now it's also wild, Tim. Eric Branstrom's end-to-end goal. I mean, that was so nice. I do want to make a comment though, because I noticed yeah. something when when Branstrom finally stopped and the players are coming around him. There was a guy standing behind Branstrom behind the glass, and he had the classic black Senegoth jersey. One of my personal favorites. Such a nice jersey. Now hear me out on this one, Tim. Uh-huh. The reverse retros. For next season, because a lot of people were really wanting the Senegoth to return. Now, I love the Senegoth. I would love to see the Senegoth come back. But here's the one thing I want to update about it. Because I don't know about you, I don't like the 3D logo on the Senegoth. It just looks so dated. Yeah, but it's it's kind it fits the jersey really nicely. Because it, it kind of has it kind of has that darker look to it, which fits with the black and gold motif. Yes. But here's one that I don't know is going to get a lot of positive feedback on. If they do a reverse retro of that jersey, what if you did it with the updated 3D logo? Oh, like the one that they used from uh, 08 on? Yeah. It might be a bit too... It might be a bit too light for the jersey. You could have updated it. You could do the colors darker, though. You could do the colors darker, yes. Yeah, so replace the white face with the peach face. Yeah. Yeah, and although I do I kind of like the more... I do like that pro... Like the three-quarters face that has that kind of darkness to it. True, but I think it would it looks very, it would look very dated if they brought it back for a... Reverse. That's fair. Hmm. Yeah, mate. Like, they should try something. Uh, at the very least, Senegoth, you could go with the current logo even on the Senegoth jersey and it would work. Current logo, and then keep the Peace Tower patches. Yes, buddy, that's what I want to see. There we are. Or even the, yeah, or even the red one, the red Senegoth. I'm surprised they didn't bring that one back. They kind of did. <laughs> yeah, they did it with the black. Yeah. It well, like, it still has to be ret like reverse retro and not just that bringing the whole jersey back sort of thing. I mean, yeah, I guess. I don't know. That's that's just me though. So let's talk about Alex Debrinkin, Tim. Two goals on five shots. I love the fact that he had this game because you know what? It shuts up a lot of the idiots on Twitter. They go, Oh, well, Alex Debrinkin's not worth nine million. We might as well just trade him. It's like, why? I don't know, man. Since Twitter has been really, really quick to blame guys this year, and they seem to go for, like, the core guys, they blame Batherson, they blame Shabbat, they go after Debrinkat. It's like, why? I mean, yeah, I get it. Like, Shabbat's having a down year, but look how hard we've ran him over the last three, four years. And he's been injured for most of... He's been injured. Yes. Dude, give him a fucking break. Like, Jesus. Yeah, and like, yeah. 
seeing this game with an offensive explosion and over the past month, the, the true emergence of Jake Sanderson, where Sanderson and Shabbat are playing about the same amount of time every night. Seeing that is incredible. Like Shabbat, 24 minutes, Sanderson, 23. That's good stuff. It is good stuff. Now, it's not good stuff, though, Tim. Now, I don't know if you got a chance to see Jacob slew foot. getting slew-footed. Apparently, that's not what injured him, but I still think that slew-foot play should be should be at least an insta-fine. There is never a good reason for a slew-foot play, and they always have an intent to injure. Yeah, that's one of those plays. It's like going after somebody's knees. The only difference between a slew foot and going after your knees, at least when you go after somebody's knees, they can uh, try to get out of the way. Oh, yeah. It, not much. Like, I still think going after the, like, going after the knee, like, kneeing, knee trips, those are penalties, and the refs are usually pretty good at calling them. Yeah, but... For a reason. They are so dangerous. God, I hate slew foots. Like, yeah, I think... Victor Hedman really should have been suspended for that play. Yes, he should have. And however, he got something worse. They lost. Badly. Yeah. So, Tim, are you ready to head off into the fourth final game of this episode? Yeah. Sens versus Devils. This is a 5-3 to three Devils victory. Sens goes scored by Brady Tuchuk, Tomas Shabbat, and our cover athlete from today's episode, Mark Kasselik. Devils goes scored by Jake Jack Hughes, Jesper Bratt, Dawson Mercer, Dougie Hamilton, and Tomas Tata. Shots were 35-28 for the Devils. So, it's a shame that I missed this game due to the fact that I was moving on Saturday, because from what I was seeing in the Cadets, it looks like I missed a pretty good game. It was a good game. There, Unfortunately, it was just a period, part of the second period, like, Senators came out, they came out flying and they put pressure on Mackenzie Blackwood early. And then they just kind of disappeared for parts of periods. And that really was the difference between Ottawa getting the W and not getting the W. Because if Ottawa could have put consistent pressure on Mackenzie Blackwood, they probably would have won the game. Mm -hmm. Because it's Mackenzie Blackwood's first game back from injury, from a long injury spell. And uh, not, not his best, that's for sure. No, but we also can't forget that Dylan Ferguson also had a rough night with 30 saves, a .882 save percentage. From what I was seeing, and I want to get your take on this, I, I feel like he got beat pretty cleanly on majority of those goals. Yeah, like the Hughes one, that was just such a nasty move. There wasn't much he could have done about it. But I think he would have wanted to have the Jesper Bratt goal back. And I'm not sure the Mercer one wasn't great either. Now, I do have a couple of players I want to talk about here, Tim. Now, Brady DeChuck had one goal and three shots. You know, for all the goals that he scores by standing in front of the net or those tapping goals, it's so nice to see him going top shelf, going down the wing. Oh, yeah, especially because it just reminds you of how good a shot Brady Kachuk actually has. Yeah, sure, like, Brady Kachuk's office is in the muck zone, but he when he wants to, he has those hands. Also... What do you think about his fight with Miles Wood? Okay, so good good point. So I didn't get it, actually get a chance to see the fight with Miles Wood. I he did beat see, the Toro. 
That's what I was hearing. I didn't get a chance to actually see the clip though. Yeah, so it was like Miles Wood. Th- so basically, there's a shuffle, and then Miles Wood goes out of his way. Like, and this is the Lindy Ruff classic. He puts a goon on the ice and just tells him to go fight a player. If yeah. you watch the approach for the fight, Brady Kachuk is playing in the play, and Ma- he looks over his shoulder, sees Miles Wood is getting towards him and already dropping the gloves. So it's either Brady fights or Brady gets jumped. Yeah. And like, this isn't the first time Lindy Ruff has done something like this. I guess he's been fined for this before. Yeah. It's not the first time he did it against the Senators either. Yeah. So it's like, I think what Brady handled it right. And two, a two and 10 for instigate, instigating for Miles Wood is correct. 100%. 100%. Now, Tomas Shabbat, he also scored on the lone goal he had in this game. And I got to say, it's really great to see him bounce back like this because, again, he's been taking a real beating from people on Twitter over the last couple of weeks. Like, there's been talk, even before the deadline. They're like, oh, you know, I wonder if Pierre Dorian should trade Shabbat go after Eric Carlson. It's like, why? <sighs> I love Eric Carlson. Don't get me wrong. What does trading Thomas Shabbat really do? There's people trying to justify that maybe giving him that 64 over 8 contract was not a good idea. As you said, since Twitter makes... I don't know, it's... They did. They it, need a reason to bitch. That's what it comes yeah. to. But it's also just, at some point, you realize that it's a good thing none of these people will ever ever be near the levers of power yeah and it's they're on twitter instead of doing something actually useful with their life i know and i love that you know and it's like guys like mark mafott even mentioned that to people he's like look why do you even waste your time doing this we all should be more like kevin we really should be just more like kevin we love kevin yeah like this like the New Jersey game was just really fun to watch. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, and like watching these games, like I do feel better about the Ottawa Senators. It's unfortunate that Jacob Shikarin is out due to kind of just after effects of those games in uh, that game in Tampa Bay. But uh, I'm just very happy with what Ottawa can do. With the players that are coming up, the reemergence of Eric Brandstrom. Yeah, and that was the guy I was going to mention. It's good because Eric Brandstrom's really stepped up his game. Yeah. And just seeing that Ottawa's defense going into next year might actually be one of their strengths, not one of their weaknesses, if they can get Eric Brandstrom re-signed to a nice contract. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we'll see what Tyler... like. what of uh, Cleveland, Bernard Docker, or Larson, sorry, not Larson, uh, Lassie Thompson holds up. Can I just, can I, sorry, can I just go on a rant again about Twitter, Tim? I was actually going to say Travis Hamannick had a pretty good game. And he's been better as of late. Seriously, though, fuck Twitter. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. No, Except- no, no. We're going to be, we're, we're going Kevin mode. We're being positive today, Tay. That's right. And I actually got a really good positive thing to talk about, Tim. It's about the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. 
I really like those jerseys. I really like it. And it's like a light red with like green. From what I understand, actually, my cousin Derek tells me about this. Like the Devils usually never win wearing their Christmas jerseys. Oh, the only thing, and you and I were talking about this before we hit record. I'm not crazy about the green pants, if I'm being honest. That's fair. I don't know. I think they're kind of neat. You don't see that every day. I don't know. Maybe it's just the shade of green. It might be. It might just be the shade of green. I'm not crazy about it. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, Tim. Do you have any more comments you want to make on these games before we head off into the close for another episode? No, I think we're good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Third Line Plug. You can find me on both at Great White Kipster. As well, you can find Tim on Twitter at M901 Honey Badger. So while Tim's not as positive as Kevin is on Twitter, he likes his anime. I do. Tim's a simple man. He knows what he likes. He knows what he likes to retweet. I don't know if I'd say I'm simple, but... Hey, you like your anime and your sins. I like my anime. I like my sins. I also like to talk... Sometimes I'll talk urban economics. Yeah. And sometimes you'll even and art. about Joe Biden saying that he likes all Canadian teams except the Leafs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, or did you see that uh, thread that I found where uh, they uh, gave every president a mullet? Yes, I saw that on TikTok. <laughs> That's so great. Great. Barack Obama looked like he had a jerry curl, though. Yeah. Although giving Ike the mohawk mullet was, that was so good. God, I know. Former President Ike Eisenhower. Let's get busy. You know what's amazing? Actually, The Simpsons make so many references about presidents, and they're always great. Yeah. Like, can you think of... I can't think of one that they really have done, like, terribly. I'm trying to think of, like... They had... George H.W. was fun. Uh, Jeb... Sorry, they had... <laughs> they had George W. And... Well, they didn't have them. They just had the cutout of George and Jeb. Yeah. Hey, Dad, it's a, your son, George Jr. and Jeb Bush. Come on out, Dad. Bar, the boys are here. They'll tell. They'll find out how to way to get those Simpsons. Oh, what about um, Abraham Lincoln when Homer has the flashback mechanic? He goes, it's showtime. I don't know why that always cracks me up. Did they ever have an Obama? think they did i don't think so that a trump yeah but yeah unless we talk about new simpsons the better yeah i actually watched a couple of new episodes last week it's okay i guess it's okay the changes to the voice actors are weird yeah they really stick out it's like when um they were talking about he says yeah People love animation because you could you don't have to pay the voice actor squat and the guy changes the the Flanders voice. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think of like other things that they actually I, did I talk about it this Halloween ep- like uh in one of the October well November episodes I guess that uh Chelsea Chelsea and one of her friends were over for Halloween we were record 
we're recording. So uh, we need someone else to kind of help hand out candy. And then I come down and uh, they were watching like a new episode of uh, Treehouse Ho- Treehouse of Horror. And it was just, well, newer. I think it was the 2020. Yeah, it was the 2020 episode. Because like they had this thing where they were telling you to vote for Biden. And then it led into a really, a really bad Toy Story parody followed by an even worse multiverse parody where there was like Princess Homer, Mar- Mario Homer. And it was just bad. I heard about really this. I, I've bad. never seen it. I've heard about it. Like, I, I know that, like, Matt Groening, Matt Groening has his bent, and you could see it in, especially in the early episodes of The Simpsons. Yeah. But I didn't think it would get so craven to the point where they'd be like, yeah, vote for X. Well, it's funny because even some of the writers have their own bends as well. Like, Schwartzwelder, yeah. it's a great example of that. He was very much a, I don't think he was a Republican. I think he was, like, a conservative. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, very, like, Pro guns and all that kind of crap. Yeah, you could. That was the funny thing about like the early Simpsons. Is it was it really depended on who was in the writer's chair, but yeah. also they would, they were pretty good at just like making sure the joke was funny at least. Yeah, I, I mean, like the the Republicans having like Dracula <laughs> as part of the castle. local board. Yeah, although that was fun. Although Birch Barlow was pretty good though. Yeah. Oh, Bart, you made a terrible mistake. No child has ever messed with the Republican Party and gotten away with it. <laughs> Isn't this a hockey podcast, Tim? Yeah. Because we still because we got announced for the games of the week as it currently stands. Tonight's game versus the Florida Panthers, which were just We just won. We just won five to two. Thursday, we are at home to play the Florida Pan sorry. Thursday, we we're at home to play the Philadelphia Flyers, and Saturday. The final Battle of Ontario for 2022-2023 versus Toronto Maple Leafs in Ottawa. It's going to be good. It is going to be good, it's man. It's kind of crazy how close to over this season is, eh? Yeah. It is, and hopefully we'll have some playoff stuff to talk about, too. Yeah. At the very least, Ottawa's playing meaningful games. That's all we can ask for, man. That's all we can ask for. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Tim Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Go, Sam. Woo! <laughs>